1: When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and Waiting, the Eighteen. that makes sense
0: of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's Rewind around for Monday night, then load a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's Rewind around for Monday night on USA, now on the John and Wade. Take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special edition of Rewind to Raw. Wei Ting is off tonight, a much-deserved vacation for the hardest-working man in wrestling podcasts. And we all know that there's a very big event occurring in the United States. As you listen to this, it is Election Day. And I know what everyone is thinking. They are relying on the great philosopher, the man of wisdom. I am talking about the new voice of Raw, NF who gave the immortal question, Hey, Nate, how's life? Because we all know that he's been dealing with some things for the last four years, and he really didn't sleep much last night. I just think Wayne needs a little me time. I just think he needs a little free time, a little break from the shows and the podcasts, polls telling Trump he's lost and getting too loud. I've been searching. What does that mean, Nate? Welcome to the show, Nate Milton.
1: What is going on, brother Pollock? That that was beautiful, my friend. And and you're right. This is a big momentous day for America. Uh, You know, and and we're going to talk about a big momentous event for the nation, John. Because as we were saying before, we turn these microphones on. You know, with everything going on in America and the world in 2020, the fact that we all got to witness collectively Tucker on Raw like that—that makes everything worth it, my friend.
0: Let's, let's not, uh, forget about the lead. That is, uh, th- this mysterious man with night written on his, uh, on his awful gear, uh, <laughs> that appeared in maybe the worst follow up to hey. a breakup angle in pro wrestling history. Uh, we will get into that tonight. A absolutely perplexing, uh, segment on Raw tonight. Uh, we have lots to discuss. We're going to go through Raw. We're also going to chat about the news and then fair warning, the end of this show. In lieu of feedback this week, we are going to dedicate the end uh, portion uh, to discussing Tuesday night's U.S. election. Which, maybe we will have a decisive winner at the end of Tuesday night. Maybe it's going to be a run-in. Maybe it's going to be a no contest. Maybe it is going to be an Ironman match that is going to take place uh, for the next month and end in a Falls Count Anywhere match in the (laughs) Supreme Court. We are going to find out. But... That will be the end of the show, and fair warning, we are going to be talking politics, and if anyone complains about, oh, I, I download a wrestling show and I get all these politics, <laughs> I have said, you will be blocked. I do not want to hear one complaint. You want to disagree with any uh, things we say? That's fine. But the mere notion that we are talking about this, I'm diving in head first, Nate. I'm, I'm ready for the, uh, the wrath of the listeners.
1: I mean, honestly, listeners, like, who who are we kidding here? Like, that's what everybody wants to hear us talk about, anyway. Even the people that disagree with us, John, they won't say it. Like, you could say they're like secret supporters of ours, uh, but they won't acknowledge it on the records. Like, even the people that disagree with our political thoughts uh, this week, like, they want to hear it just so they can have something to complain about. So, you know, that that will be the main event. That'll be the Starcade '97. This whole deal where we uh, get to talk about Sting and. hogan here and i'll let the listener decide who is who in that equation
0: well let's let's hope that nick patrick is not counting ballots on tuesday uh <laughs> as we get into uh what is coming up this week on the site on tuesday night fear not wait we'll be back we are going to have our latest rocky review on tuesday night uh with rocky 4 the mm. 1985 classic pitting rocky balboa against ivan drago uh maybe the most uh uh Politically heavy-handed Rocky film in the franchise as the U.S. goes to war with the Soviets inside of a boxing ring. And we will also be uh, rejoined by uh, my good friend and film reviewer, Ed Boxler. So he is going to be coming back uh, for that review. Wednesday night, we've got Rewind to Dynamite and Up Next coming your way. And then we fast forward to Friday night, live edition of Rewind to SmackDown that is coming your way if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe and then a busy weekend as we will have a power struggle post show uh, with WH Park on that show. And then a full gear post show on Saturday night that I believe uh, Davey Portman will be stopping by for. So a lot coming up this week uh, that you can follow along at postwrestling.com and postwrestlingcafe.com. And my final plug is that uh, I have an interview up on the site uh, with reporter David Bixenspan uh, chatting about uh, a really heavy topic about the scandal from the early 90s uh, in the WWF uh, the ring boy scandal that he has just written a lengthy piece on for business insiders so we spent over an hour discussing uh, a pretty uncomfortable story but also one that I think does uh, need to have a lot of light uh, shined upon it so that is up on the site if you want to go uh, check that out but Nate how are you what what is going on in a uh, kings of sportland
1: Oh, I'm doing good, brother. Uh everything is is fine in Kings of Sportland. You know, Marcus and I we had to take a little bit of a break after his Dodgers beat my Braves. You know, we we just had a little uh little little schism in the family, but we're back together. Uh and so we'll probably break out another episode this week after the election because I, I feel like everything unless you're doing analysis of the election, everything that you said before Tuesday, it could all feel like a fantasy world in in 24 hours so uh we'll talk about the lakers and the dodgers we'll talk about uh the election and then we might get into some of this wrestling but uh other than that things have been pretty good here in virginia john i i feel uh i feel relaxed i feel calm i i voted back in uh back in august so like yeah i've I've been uh, i've been on cruise control for the last few months my friend
0: yeah it's uh yeah I, I think we're gonna save this all for the end i, I will definitely uh, <laughs> we, we we will discuss kind of just like it's it, like it's it's a very very important day um yeah like there's no hyperbole around it uh, like
1: this, this show is gonna be like trying to explain star wars to somebody without spoiling the fact that darth vader is luke's father <laughs> yes it's like you just want to get to the to the reveal
0: <laughs> hey on just uh an a related note uh, was there any part of you that thought there would be any subtle political commentary on tonight's show i mean wwe has been completely mm. they have completely steered clear of any politics on their programming but that's you know a a generation ago on the eve of the 2000 election that that was not the case um uh, w- what did you think going in t- to this did you think like if ever there was going to be that that night that you know s- some line gets gets inserted tonight mm-hmm. would have been that night and it was a political free show
1: Yeah, we've seen them get political before. You know, we've even seen uh, stand-ins for Hillary and Barack and Trump, you know, get in the ring. So they've done it before, but I feel like this is a much different time, John. And, like, COVID, I think they were averse to talking about Trump anyway uh, this year, but COVID has made it even more of a a topic they don't want to touch aside from this group that is – supposed to be antifa i guess maybe question mark uh i don't think other than that they want to get too overt with with their messaging well let's get into
0: uh, some of the news items from earlier today we're going to start with uh kylie ray who has mm. not commented since bound for glory uh when she did not appear on the show for the match with diana perrazzo today in a message that went out to uh members of her patreon uh the message that was uh, posted reads Good morning. I'm truly sorry for the pain I've caused and miscommunication. I am currently unwell. I'm also sorry that I wasn't able to get this out before your monthly subscription charge. I wanted to take this time to say I am no longer a professional wrestler and I'm currently taking a break from social media. It's been a very hard decision to make, but please understand, when I am well, I will try to fulfill any obligations that have missed. During this time, most tears will not be able to be fulfilled. And yeah, the the gist of the message, obviously, that she does not consider herself a professional wrestler any longer mm. um you know with kylie ray i think a lot of people they have just you know tried to respect her privacy during what's obviously a you know it's you know she's had a lot of issues that she's currently going through and i don't think wants to publicly you know disclose the specifics about it and i guess this just just kind of gives you a sense of where where she is in terms of like her relationship to professional wrestling that it doesn't exist now
1: Yeah, and this is really sad, and, you know, I just wish the best for Kylie. Like, she's obviously a talented uh, and young performer, you know, with her career ostensibly ahead of her. But at the same time, like, if this industry is not good for her or puts her in a place, you know, mental health-wise where she feels comfortable, then, yeah, like, you gotta let it go, and so like we don't know the details. The only people that know the the full truth are Kylie and whoever she's decided to tell. Uh, but you know, I, I I give her credit. Like if this is something that she's doing for her own health, like yeah, by all means, go for it. Because you know the the paycheck is nice, but the paycheck is not worth your uh, your health and well being. And so yeah, I just hope that you know she can. Get through whatever she's going through. And here's the thing, John, like we all know, you know, we weren't born yesterday. Retirements in wrestling and sports in general, like you take them with a grain of salt. So like if she decides to come back, I'll be here for it. If she never comes back again, you know, she's had a great career and, you know, now she needs to take care of what's really important.
0: And I think that that would be the natural reaction that that impact has. Like, the door is open should you choose to come back. And and if not, like, that's – there's not going to be any pressure for her to come back either. Like, that would be, you know, what – the sentiment you would expect.
1: Yeah, and like I said man, like I I'm somebody that's going through, you know, about with uh mental health and stress and anxiety. So, you know, I don't know exactly what Kyle is going through, but I've been in a similar position, I guess you could say. So, yeah, like I know like sometimes you have to prioritize your yourself over, you know, your career or, or you know, certain people that you associate with. So, yeah, like I I hope the best for her because uh yeah, like she was like that was one of the matches I was looking most forward to. You know, Davey and I talked about it. On the uh, Bound for Glory show, like Mm -hmm. Kylie and Deanna was maybe after the main event, the match I was looking the most forward to. So, you know, hopefully she can, you know, get herself right. And, uh, you know, I just wish her the best.
0: Yeah, I think that that's, you know, everyone's reaction is just uh, hoping that, you know, she gets through whatever she's going through. So Stephanie McMahon did an interview with a Barstool Sports' uh, Erica Nardini on Monday on the Token CEO podcast. Erica Nardini, also a recent addition to the WWE's board of directors. So there is a, a connection there. Um, and I guess one of the notable parts that came out of this uh, interview was Stephanie McMahon revealing that the Vince McMahon Netflix documentary series, it will be told <laughs> over four episodes. So uh, <laughs> not getting quite the last dance treatment. No. But regardless – um, You know, four episodes sort of, you know, you've – you heard this news, Nate, and as someone that, you know, followed The Last Dance very closely and reviewed all of the episodes, like that was a series that also did have like that that critical eye attached to it because, you know, Mm -hmm. you did have Jordan's production company involved with it. So knowing, you know, how the WWE typically operates, but this is – you know, an outside executive producer and Bill Simmons, you, and you have the director from the uh, fire documentary. Kyle, what what are you expecting from th- this documentary series? Do you think that it's going to be one that surprises people in terms of where they go? Or do you think that this will be, you know, you go to certain areas, but you're not going to go to the, uh, the unspoken topics that you mm. would not expect the Vince McMahon documentary to cover if WWE is involved.
1: I think it'll be really well-produced, John. I think they'll have access to a lot of great footage.
0: (laughs) And, yeah, any person imaginable will be available for this. Yes. Which which comes with a lot of expectation.
1: But here's the thing. Like, I don't think, like, and I hate to get morbid, but unless Vince was – unless Vince knew he was on his last legs, I don't think he would tell the truth, like, 100% or even – 55%. So I think what we're going to get is a very serious sounding Vince, a very, you know, pensive Vince McMahon on screen, but it's going to be a lot of his story told his way. Like I don't like even, you know, you could say The Last Dance had the Michael Jordan influence to it, but at least we still got to see Isaiah Thomas or Horace Grant, you know, tell their side of the story. I don't think we're going to get that from a Vince McMahon doc
0: what kind of interview subject do you think Vince McMahon is going to be? Like the producers are going to get to sit down with this man for Mm. hours upon hours. This will probably be multiple lengthy marathon sit down interviews. And I mean, it's like, you're really going to see what the, like the recall is of a Vince McMahon to go into Mm. the nitty gritty about a lot of these stories that, I mean, he doesn't strike me as someone that is that kind of details person that is going to, have like the like what's his recollection level going to be from all of these different stories and Mm. like Michael Jordan was someone that I mean like every time that guy was on the screen you were drawn (laughs) in and Vince McMahon will have that I think everyone Vince McMahon in any form on screen you will be drawn to him but I guess what kind of interview subject do you
1: anticipate so you're saying we're not going to have a Bradford Smith moment (laughs) <laughs> That's, uh, I think with Vince John, you're going to get like a really engaging subject. Like he's going to be a great storyteller. You know, you can even look to the uh, the XFL 30 for 30 uh, that that was the ESPN did. Like he was a an engaging subject, even though you knew you probably couldn't trust most of what was coming out of his mouth. I think Vince will be compelling. He'll be engaging. Uh, the thing that I'd like to see as a viewer is maybe a bit of a peek past the curtain. Uh, Like, is there going to be something that gets Vince emotional? Is there going to be something that makes Vince sad? Is there going to be something, you know, maybe related to his father or his family that we see like the real Vince beyond the character of Mr. McMahon? Uh, That's what I'd like to see. Am I holding my breath that we're going to get that kind of real look at Vince McMahon? No.
0: Yeah, I think, like, some of the strongest stuff could simply be, like, following Vince, like, in his environment, Mm -hmm. and how he interacts with others, and that's Like, I'd
1: like to see Vince with his grandkids. Like, that's something that would be interesting for me to see.
0: Like, I think, like, the the fly-on-the-wall technique with with Vince would Mm -hmm. really serve him well. Like, you have to do the sit-downs, obviously, but I think you could get a lot more engaging content out of Vince McMahon just by – just by following him and once he's used to the cameras i think you get a pretty good sense of vince mcmahon and just seeing those
1: relationships with your own eyes yeah like i feel like it's going to be interesting it's going to be compelling um i just if you're looking at this documentary to be like the bl end all actual factual vince mcmahon story it's probably not going to be here (laughs)
0: As we move on, SmackDown from Friday night, uh, they had their, their highest viewership figure since September the 11th. They did 2,286,000 viewers, a 0.7 in the 18th to 49 demo. So they were tied for first in the U S in Canada. They were the number one sports program. Now that, uh, playoffs are over, the, um, WWE programming is uh, doing very well. They were number one with 160,400 viewers and, uh, See, here in Canada, Nate, we don't get NXT on Wednesday night, so it's just a one-hour version that airs on Friday nights in this Mm -hmm. WWE block. So they were number three for the night, and number four was Main Event, which immediately followed SmackDown Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. Friday night. So uh, there you go. Those were uh, three of the the top four uh, sports programs in Canada on Friday night. What have you been enjoying about SmackDown lately? Because I've got to say, like, I'm pretty into the show pretty much with the key storylines that are going on led by Roman Reigns.
1: Yeah, those ratings surprise me. Um, and I guess it's just, again, no NBA, baseball's over. Uh, you might have some college or high school on TV. You don't uh, have in the terms of, football. Lineup of
0: the, you know all these new shows yeah. that are rolling out. Like SmackDown, not to say they have the night to themselves, but it's far less competition than a normal year would would present.
1: Yeah, it's not you know, going up against Monday Night Football or you know the NBA or some popular show. So I feel like uh, SmackDown's kind of – Held steady in terms of quality. Uh, the one difference between now and maybe three months ago is how good the Roman Reigns story has been. Mm-hmm. And you got to give a lot of credit to Roman. You got to give a lot of credit to Heyman, whoever is creating this story, because again, you know, it, it's almost the opposite side of what I was saying with the Vince McMahon documentary. Like, yes, we know. Like with the documentary, we want it to be real, even though we know there's probably going to be a lot of fake in it. With with the uh, the Roman story, like we know this is a storyline. We know this isn't quote unquote real, but when you add those elements of truth, when you, you know, bring out Offenseeker, you know, when you have Rikishi talking in some of the video packages, and the just the performances of Roman, Jimmy, and Jay, like it's been extremely entertaining. Uh so like that's been good. Bailey and Sasha, even though I think that was a match they could have waited till WrestleMania for, like, I thought Bailey and Sasha total wonderful story so i think the storytelling on smackdown has just been much more consistent uh than raw even though now they've they've inherited the ray mysterio storyline so i don't know where we're going john
0: are you, are you buying or selling on the the ray mysterio
1: storyline <laughs> I, look, I love ray and i love dominic uh but i'm not i'm not buying buying this uh family drama this telenovela if you will uh, some
0: New Japan notes that they, uh, announced on Monday. So they're going to be kicking off their best of the Super Juniors tournament November 15th in conjunction with the World Tag League. And they announced the participants for the Super Juniors tournament, uh, with Junior Heavyweight Champion Taiji Ishimori, El Desperado, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Hiromu Takahashi, Ryusuke Taguchi, Master Wato, who will be the, uh, I guess the, the one, the underdog everyone's rooting for. Uh mm. Tanaka, Bushi, Doki, and the returning Robbie Eagles, who hasn't done, uh hasn't been to Japan for New Japan since February. Uh, so that will culminate December the 11th at Budokan Hall. And then on top of that, they announced a one-night Super J-Cup for Saturday, December the 12th, in the U.S. Just in the U.S. somewhere. And it's mm-hmm. going to feature El Phantasmo, Clark Connors, TJP, ACH, Blake Christian, Ray Orus, Leo Rush and from Impact, Chris Bay. So an mm. interesting lineup of talent that they had there. And you know, we saw Rocky Romero appear on that Anderson and gallo special on Access TV and they plugged New Japan strong, but this would be another instance of at least the US chapter of New Japan uh working with Impact.
1: Yeah, and I'm really excited for that. Like I honestly have kind of been out of the loop with New Japan, even with the G one, you know, just you know, life life in America, John hasn't <laughs> Hasn't given me, you know, the time to really, you know, get back in the new Japan like I want. But here in that lineup, and like you said, we've got this great mixture, you know, from all of these different organizations. And and you know, anytime we can see Leo Rush in there with some top flight competition, it, it's going to be a good thing. So yeah, I'm actually excited and, and i am going to check that out.
0: Yeah, it should be a really fun one night tournament with the uh, the eight involved there. So. Um, and then just uh, one final thing, just looking at Wednesday's lineups. For for Dynamite, this is what we've got. We've got Chris Jericho on commentary, MJF and Wardlow against Ortiz and Sammy Guevara, Trent against Miro, Colt Cabana, John Silver, and Ten taking on Cody and the Gun Club, Scorpio Sky versus Sean Spears, and a face-to-face involving John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. Uh, on the other side, NXT promoting Velveteen Dream against Tommaso Ciampa and Ember Moon against Dakota Kai as they look to follow up on that that strong outing that they had with Halloween Havoc last week. As someone that uh, sat through many of the Halloween Havocs, both good and bad, uh, how did you feel uh, last week's show uh, hit on the nostalgia
1: note? I thought it was a really strong show. Like, a lot of the current storylines I wasn't invested in uh, because I tend to watch AEW more on Wednesdays than NXT. Uh, But just the branding and the -the over-the-top campiness and, you know, Shotzi Blackheart just out here just Mm -hmm. camping it up. And, you know, then we get some really good matches. You know, I thought that that was the best Candice LeRae match I've ever seen in my life, John Pollock. Uh, So, yeah, it just goes to show you. And it's why I mentioned... Starcade 97 off the top of this program, John. If you attach yourself to the WCW brand, good things will follow. So I'm glad they decided to finally dust that name off and do something with it.
0: Do you? I was talking to Way about this. Do you think that they resurrect Starcade? whether it be – it'd be really uh, – I, I don't think they'd turn it around for this month with Thanksgiving,
1: but like a, mm. a, an end-of-the-year post-Christmas special. Why wouldn't you? Like, it, it's just – IP that you got just laying around not doing anything. And I'm not saying if you name some NXT show StarCade, it's going to do, you know, 3 million viewers, but you'll have more viewers than you normally have because of that curiosity. Like, I didn't even know uh, most of the matches that were going to be on Halloween Havoc, John, but just. Wanting to find out what's going on and and the spin the wheel make the deal like I'm just how are the WWE and NXT in particular going to present this outdated concept and and I was uh su- pleasantly surprised by what they produced so yeah use all of the WCW imaging you can and just throw it on NXT because I think that's the one thing NXT is missing for me right now John is just a little bit of sizzle and if you throw that WCW branding on it that's that's all the sizzle I need John. Well, and
0: it was not just a hit with, like, older audiences, too. Like, there was younger people that were into it. And I think, like, the, the Halloween Havoc marketing was a big hook for people that, hey, this is something out of the norm of a regular NXT. And it was going against an AEW that was, like, a fine lineup. But I think there was more, way more curiosity for the NXT side about, you know, yep. what's what's this going to look like? Because you have this either a memory of Halloween Havoc or you're at least aware of it, even if you weren't following wrestling back then.
1: Yeah, because normally I'm either all in on uh no pun intended on AEW on Wednesdays or I'm flipping back and forth. But this was the first Wednesday in a long time that I flipped to NXT and I flipped back to AW maybe once, but that was it. Uh quickly, what
0: uh h- how do you feel the build has been for full gear and will you be watching that on Saturday?
1: Yeah, I'll be watching. I think it's been a solid uh build. Um uh, I like I like uh that we're finally starting to get some movement with the elite and we're finally, you know, we're giving Kenny some character. We're giving the Bucks some character. Uh, you know, we're we're uh building to Hangman and, and uh and Kenny, which like I I would have said a year ago, like Hangman Page wasn't the guy I didn't see a lot in Hangman Page. And there's no disrespect to the Hangman. He's a very fine gentleman on Twitter, Don Pollock, but like this past six months, like Adam Page is a star. And I'm excited to see what they do with him. Uh, Moxley as champion has just kind of been there for me. Uh, you know, he hadn't been terrible, but he hadn't blown my socks off. Uh, but I am interested to see what they do with him in Kingston, because Eddie Kingston, of anybody, John, has maybe made the most out of what wrestling is in 2020. And he's done it primarily on the strength of his mic work.
0: I agree. Yeah, I think he's just been someone that's come in and, like, it's – I don't think anyone could have predicted this from just a guy that has seized every opportunity presented to him and has just worked his way. Like, from that first appearance, and here we are just several months later, and he's headlining a pay-per-view. Like, it's been a – I think come the end of the year, we're going to look back and, like, this was quite the story involving Eddie Kingston this year.
1: Other than Jericho, you can make a very strong case that this is the strongest opponent that Mox has had when he's been in title matches and, and that's that's saying something for a guy that's only been here for a month so i've been very uh pleased by what they've done with Eddie kingston and it's a guy that you know he's been doing this for a while and i'm glad that he's finally kind of getting to see the fruits of his labor
0: for all your news you can go check out postwrestling.com, and we will segue over to raw from as tom phillips listed it the award winning and critically acclaimed WWE Thunderdome <laughs> at the Amway Center, the interactive viewing experience built specifically for the WWE universe. Just rolls off the tongue.
1: <laughs> yes, that's, is, that is, uh, that's the new, uh, longest running weekly episodic program.
0: It's the longest, uh, the longest running, uh, run on sentence, I would say that Tom Phillips uh, dropped on us here. Randy Orton comes out and he states, He is not just the best of the best, but the best, period. I would say that if you're the best, period, and then you're having a showdown of the best of the best, I think the first title would overshadow the second one. Like, I think he actually downgraded himself in this uh, delineation.
1: It's, it's levels to this, John Pollock. You know, it's it's like uh, you know, you can be the best, you know, you can be the best, like like Ralph Macchio at the All uh, California Karate Championships, but you ain't fought nobody outside of California. So really, can you say you're the best of the best? And 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 so yeah, Randy Orton, uh, not not starting this title reign off on a great foot here.
0: Yeah, at best, this is a push, and this is like one, <laughs> not any more than the other. He then lists off all the people he's better than. Edge, Undertaker, Flair, Cena, Shawn, Jeez. Andrew McIntyre, and every WWE star in the back. They said that Triple H protected me, that WWE chose me. Well, I'm in this position because I'm the best. And now I am simply a legend. And he calls out anyone to try and unseat him. And out comes Alexa Bliss, who <laughs> walks out and is just smiling as Orton paces around And then The Fiend's uh, music starts to play, and Alexa holds up her gloves that read Play and Pain on her gloves. She she then keeps up the glove that reads Pain, and as the red light is on, Orton's all frightened. But then it's Drew McIntyre who appears, hitting the claymore on Orton, grabs the belt, and dares Randy to give him a rematch. And until he does, he's going to make Randy's life hell. Hmm. So we had some like coordination here between the Fiend and Drew McIntyre.
1: Yes. One would think uh, this, this is a really f- intriguing opening segment because uh, like I, I'm going to have thoughts here. Once we get to the end of the show about how Randy was positioned uh, and the title was positioned tonight. Uh, but just looking at this as a segment, like I think Alexa bliss is fantastic in this role. I haven't been super high on Bray, but, uh, but I feel like they're a good match, and you know, anything that that can spice up a Randy Orton title run. Because uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm tipping my hand a little early, John. I've I didn't see a reason why we needed to make that title change, and I haven't exactly been thrilled with the results of of this reign so far. Uh,
0: I I don't completely disagree with you. I think that Randy was definitely I think like this Drew feud had gone on one month too many after the yes. ambulance match and. I feel more than anything was they did not want to go to Roman and Drew McIntyre. I think they want to keep that as a very big match down the road. Uh, mm. But I still feel there were ways around that. I, I hate this Randy and Reigns direction. I don't think it's a great match for either to have now. Uh, and I just think you're going to get all this hocus pocus bullshit attached to the match to get themselves out of it.
1: It feels like, you know, we're again, this is a situation where we're just having matches for matches sake. You know, like uh, with the uh, tag title match that we'll talk about later, or the tag team title, the tag team champions facing off at of Survivor Series, like we'll talk about later. Like that's a match just kind of out of nowhere. So it, it there's no heat behind any of these stories. And so like, I'm not, I wasn't excited for uh, Drew and Roman really at this point, John, because honestly, I want more of the Roman story. I don't need any of this uh, Drew McIntyre messing up my roman salad over here so uh (laughs) so like i wasn't excited for drew and roman and i'm certainly not excited for uh randy and Roman.
0: the miz and john morrison then entered through the crowd and they signal to the referee to run down and miz is ready to cash in the money in the bank briefcase when all of a sudden drew attacks both of them and Ends up saving Randy Orton, and it's explained later that Drew is going to be his guardian angel, and no one can beat Randy Orton for the title except for Drew McIntyre. So we've kind of got this uh, Miz and Morrison. They have the the blocker in Drew McIntyre to s- stand in front of them for any of these cash in teases.
1: Okay, so John Pollock, you know I haven't done this in a while, but you know I'm going to pull out one of my old Keep It Two Thousand tricks and then throw a flag on the play here. You know because. If, if I'm Drew McIntyre, I get it. Like, you want to be the upstanding babyface and beat the guy that beat you? But let's be real. Like, the title is the main objective. And by all measures, the Miz is an easier opponent than Randy Orton. So why not just let Miz win the title, beat the Miz, and then you can go back and beat up Randy Orton for free? Like, like why, why are we doing this, Drew?
0: You know, he's a proponent of episodic storytelling and he knows that uh this is going to be a, a, a multiple month chase, maybe. Uh and he and he wants to he wants to get this to a pay-per-view where they can draw uh a, a big a big main event uh well mm. I, I don't even know if uh if they have their their percentages of the of the WWE network if they can build up to a big pay per view. But maybe maybe he wants a better drawing opponent than the Miz
1: that's another thing John Pollock and I didn't want to get I didn't want to get started on this but we're here like the Miz just like oh this wasn't great but I'm not sure the Miz is any better in this position like there was nobody else we could do like I'd even take Morrison over Miz at this point because Miz feels like it feels like we've seen him in this role before well they're in the
0: like they are there to be the Tackling dummies for Drew McIntyre seems to be their role on TV, and this happens a lot with the briefcase holder. In that it's like carte blanche to beat them like a drum, knowing mm. that well in the end they've got the briefcase, like they're untouchable. When that's not really the case with the perception of it, I don't think anyone's clamoring for a Miz title win that would just, I think, bring bring down the title. And th- they've done a fairly good job after this Drew run of elevating that belt.
1: Yeah, like I, I think. <sighs> They've got to do something with this or make it a, you know, a cash in and Randy gets his, gets his senses back about him. Quick RKO and that's it. Because yeah, I feel like they, they just did this to get themselves out of a problem with Otis holding the briefcase. But now you've got maybe not a bigger problem, but you still got a problem. So yeah, I don't think anybody out there is, is tuning in to watch The Miz become champion.
0: So they set up a handicap match for later with Miz and Morrison challenging Drew, uh, which Morrison notes Drew ruined a twice-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the Miz to <laughs> cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase, which was a funny line. Elias is in the ring. He says that he has surpassed Hardy in his career, and that's why Jeff tried to run him over and kill him. But he has prevailed because his album is number one, and he goes to play Amen, and Amen is interrupted. Have you had a chance to sample the new Elias Universal Truth?
1: I have not, John. Like I, I didn't even know it was a real thing until I saw it on our uh, Raw last week, where they were talking about you know uh, he's got the number one song on, on Apple Music or whatever chart they were using, and it's like, like this is this is still a thing in 2020. We out here making WWE albums. I'm I, I'm cool with it, I guess. <laughs> Amen. I mean, it's no, it's no Jillian Hall Christmas album, but it'll do.
0: Oh dear. Guitar on a pole match. We have Jeff Hardy against Elias. Uh you must smash the guitar over your opponent. Uh but that would not be the finish. Uh that would just be the precursor to it. So I mean they had a Jeff Hardy Elias match, which is pretty by the numbers. Hardy starts to climb the turnbuckle. Elias gets him on his shoulders and is taken out with a head scissors. Twist of fate. Hardy grabs the guitar and it comes off the turnbuckle, smashes the guitar on Elias, and then pins him in eight minutes, 21 seconds. Byron Saxon is hoping this is the end of the feud with Elias <laughs> and Jeff Hardy. And like there was nothing after this. Like this felt like we were wrapping things up here with Jeff Hardy and Elias. It wasn't just a guitar shot, but he pinned him. Like this this felt like the finality uh that this program was clamoring for.
1: As as it should be. Like this is just one of those, okay, welcome to the brand, you know, a housewarming gift, if you will. And so, yeah, like I'm Jeff is an interesting character, John, because I'm not sure where he kind of fits in on this roster. Um, And I don't know if he would have been better staying on SmackDown. uh, But I just don't see, like, I guess he's, you know, your your mid-card kind of gatekeeper, you know? But, uh, like, I I don't see much upward momentum for for, uh, Brother Nero right now.
0: You know, given where Reigns, like, is just desperate for babyfaces and Mm. the dynamic of Reigns and Heyman together writing that material and reigns explaining that i represent this company and i'm the head of the table because you would be an abs you could not handle Mm. the pressure of this as you have shown throughout your career like you could really tap into that as they pretty much have uh pardon the pun set the table for such a program after the seamus feud
1: Oh yeah, that would have been that would have been fantastic. Which is which is why we were not getting it, John. So <laughs> welcome to 2020. Well, I mean
0: Hardy though clearly like the victor in this feud, so I think he's someone that is going to be in that kind of pr- protected level, and maybe he becomes that last member on on the Raw team. We do have one slot open, so yeah. Hardy. You know he's he's going to be one of your more featured baby faces, uh, unlike. Uh, one individual tonight who uh, lost his first name last week and this week uh, it was a it was a riddle where he was. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler versus Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. This was for the women's tag title, so two and zero earned them a title shot. Lana comes out before the bell rings, and Joe is noting this is not very good for Lana to be ringside. Brooke and Rose double team Nia Jacks, and then she eventually gets caught. Brooke hits a bulldog to Baszler for a two-count. Uh, Jax comes in, and it's Brooke uh, avoiding the Kirifuda clutch. Baszler then slides to the floor, grabs Lana, and a baseball slide uh, drop kick takes her down by Dana, who then goes for the handspring cartwheel in the corner, is caught in the Kirafuda clutch, and then there's a distraction by Lana with a roll-up. Dana gets knocked into Lana, and then Shayna applies the Kirifuda Clutch, submitting Dana Brooke in 337. And the story of this was that Lana was just the perpetual screw-up for both teams in this, and it was just a matter of who she was going to mess up more, and it turned out to be the challengers who have now lost their first match together on Raw. Mm.
1: Yeah, I I like uh, Nia and Shayna as a team a lot more than I thought I would, John. you know, obviously, I wish Shayna could be doing more. You know, in in terms of uh, as a singles performer, but like the team up between these two has been pretty good. Uh, everything else of, involved with this match, less so. Like I, like first of all, we got this makeshift team on the other side. We've got Lana out here doing her best Charlie Brown, just her whole sad sack routine, and like it does. And they're doing this. I think what makes it worse, John, is they're trying to tell. A similar story with the men as well, where nobody can get along on this team. Like that seems to be the only story they need they, they seem to know when it, when it comes to tag teams this Nate, year, Everyone hates is each other pe- on this show. Like that is yes. the premise. Everyone people can't get hates along each other. Right. So so why why should I get invested in this team if they can't get along going up against another team on SmackDown who probably won't be able to get along either?
0: You know what I want so much on SmackDown? I want one of, like, it can be the men's team, it can be the women's team. And I want, like, these five individuals to come together, and they love each other. Like, they (laughs) are finishing each other's sentences. They've never spent all this time together. They've got strategy down pat. I want to see, like, the most cohesive Mm. Survivor Series team going into this, just to be different.
1: (laughs) We just get, like, a Rocky Four Hearts on Fire montage where they're training together. Yes. I want I want the Marvel
0: universe to, to come together. And I and I don't want I, and I don't want uh Robert Downey Jr. and Captain America to hate one <laughs> another. I just want everyone to be on the same page and they're just best friends. And then they can lose and hate each other. You can still get to that afterwards. <laughs> Orton's backstage. Uh Charlie's big question. Is it going to be difficult to hold on to your championship? Orton doesn't even answer this question. He just moves on and says that He is going to give Drew a reminder of how the Hunters become the Hunted, and he's going to do this with an RKO. This guy was having a really rough time just (laughs) with basic messaging tonight. Like, what is the lesson here? That you would have been the previous Hunter that is now the Hunted, given that you are the (laughs) champion, and you are going to teach this lesson to Drew by attacking him? That would be the opposite. It would be that the... Hunted, you, mm. is going to go backwards to become the hunter to go after the man that's been designated the hunter who is after your title.
1: Mm, it's like that, uh, that office gift. Oh, how the turntables turn. turn. Uh, Looks like Matt's
0: already lost his last name here because the Riddler is Randy tonight.
1: Well, that's the thing, John. Like, not only is this a lesson that Drew should already know, it's a lesson Randy should already know because we already went through this before the ambulance met. All you guys did for a month and a half was just beat each other up and, and sneak attack each other in the ring or sneak attack each other backstage. We saw this for five weeks, John Pollock. We don't need to see it again.
0: Sarah Schreiber interviewed R-Truth in the ring. He's not worried about Lashley, who puts people in Nelson from The Simpsons and then was confused because he didn't realize he has a match with Bobby Lashley. He thought he was facing Bobby Boucher from The Boy. Release date, November sixth, nineteen
1: ninety-eight. He uh, wants to get his water bottle uh, something, signed? Something is wrong with his Medulla Almagada.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh I was I was his, looking at his, the uh the over fifty audience here. They were they were uh they were they were definitely in full force here. This was uh directed right at uh I, I was fourteen when this movie came out, Nate.
1: Mm. Yeah, like, Waterboy, like, that was a peak, like, probably college, like, freshman year of college kind of movie for me, Waterboy. So, yeah, it's been a minute. And here's the thing about Truth, John. Like, when Truth hits, I think Truth really hits with his comedy. But when he misses, it just falls flat. And we got a pancake in the middle of the ring tonight. Yeah,
0: I was expecting Captain Insano to come out next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny for the joke. But yes. again, it's not It's not exactly we could get a, Paul White to come
1: out of here with a wig on. You have so many confused
0: people on top of that. But uh, So Lashley comes out, and it's a non-title match. Truth, uh, he did his tribute to Halloween Havoc 1999, uh, playing the role of Hogan, to Lashley's Sting as he lay down. Uh, but then it was a trick, and he tried to go after Lashley, who just speared him, hurt lock, 56 seconds, Drew Gulak runs out to try and win the 24-7 title. Lashley throws him around, hurt lock, and then takes the lifeless Gulak and places him on top of Truth and he wins the title while unconscious. Perfect metaphor for what this championship does for oneself.
1: Yeah, and then there was like, I don't know if you caught it, John, but like there was this weird, I don't know if Lashley missed his cue because he leaves the ring. Then he comes back and just stands over uh Drew and Truth and it looks like he might, reverse it and have truth win the belt back unconsciously uh but then they show the replay and Lashley, when they come back Lashley just laughs and leaves the ring again so i don't know if that was a timing thing or what
0: god um well will our truth win the title back that's the uh that's the question (laughs) you're left with at this i mean say what you will like they have primed bobby lashley that at the snap of their fingers this guy will be accepted as a as a title challenger now given Given the age of this individual, I don't know if this is the monster you should be building everything around, but you can't fault the fact that they like Bobby Lashley has been as protected as anyone in this company this year.
1: Yeah, and it's honestly, you know, you talk about the age, John, you know, I wouldn't even put that into uh, the equation because they wasted at least a year in this guy's career last year. Also, it's uh, like know, when
0: he got into the company, like his age should have been frozen because they didn't yes. do anything with him those first two years.
1: Yes. I mean, like for every Lana skit, for every, uh, Sami Zayn bringing out his sister skit, they should have deducted six months from Lashley's actual age. That's,
0: that's a hell of an art, ar- like way around the youth <laughs> movement. Like that's, <laughs> it's once we're ready to push you, that's when you start to age. Yes. And you're just forever 34. He just
1: reset the odometer.
0: Yes. All right. So there we have it. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just doing the math in my head that that would put Ricochet back in his 20s. More on him later. Lindsay Dorado and Grand Medalika are on the back. They want to go after Drew Gulak and then they run into Jordan and AJ Styles and they just took off. That was the last <laughs> we saw of them. Sarah Schreibers with Nia Jax. She's pissed that Lana's on the Survivor Series team and calls her butt hurt. And she's going to end Lana's career tonight. So that match has been made. <laughs> AJ comes out with Big Jordan. He says SmackDown does not have someone with the intangibles to be a leader. So he calls out teammates Sheamus and Keith Lee. And AJ uh, AJ was pretty fantastic here. He Lee states that they never agreed that AJ was the captain. And Lee is not intimidated by Jordan. Uh, Seamus says he's not going to take any orders from AJ. And then Braun Strowman comes out and he says the only thing this ne- team needs is these hands. They go over all the qualifying requirements. Braun ain't down with any of that. He cites his resume that he's been on the winning team at Survivor Series one, two, three, I don't know, 12 times. So instead of he has the opposite, Nate, during the time that he was pushed, they tacked on years to him that he's suddenly been a 12 year veteran in this company.
1: <laughs> and, and the crazy thing is, nobody would be able to fact check that. Like, there's no way we can verify this, right, John? <laughs> sure, he's been in
0: this company since uh, 2008.
1: Why not? <laughs> Adam Pierce comes
0: out. He would love Braun to be on Team Raw, but no one wants to face him in a qualifying match. Keith is all pissed off. Sheamus gets in his face. AJ proposes a triple threat match with Braun, Sheamus, and Keith Lee. Just a thought. Just a thought. And <laughs> they all agree. And Braun says, they don't pay me to talk. And Pierce makes the match.
1: Big I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, getting back to the AJ of this segment, John, it's hard choosing a leader. Like, it it can be a very long and difficult process when you're trying to find the right person who should lead you forward. And so I can, I can understand what the raw survivor series team is going through right now. And so like as, as convoluted as the setup to this was, I do think uh, like if you're comparing the build for the men's team and the women's team, it's not even close, John, like at least with the men's team, there's some intrigue here. I thought, um,
0: First day of the SmackDown promo and it's uh, built around uh, Reigns and Jay having the new alliance and then the rematch between Banks and Bayley. So that, that should be a pretty big show on Friday, I think, with, with yeah. those two things, uh, leading things. Keith Lee, Sheamus and Braun Strowman with AJ Styles on commentary, who <laughs> I thought was great on commentary. And these three just had like this big man match of just destroying each other for 14 minutes. And I, I thought this was a really fun match and was one of the few times that we got to see, I wouldn't say this was like a huge showcase for Keith Lee, but they Mm -hmm. let Keith Lee outside of these very narrow parameters he's been in since being called up to raw and even to a degree on NXT, but especially on the main roster, I thought they got to shine more of a light on all three, to be honest. Like they just let them work like three big
1: men doing a lot of athletic and hard hitting stuff. Yeah, it was a really fun house match. Like uh reminded me of, you know, maybe 12 years ago. I don't remember the exact date, John, but whenever we had Braun, Roman, and Brock, like, you know, just three big dudes in the ring facing off. And then this was this was, you know, a lesser version of that, but it was still fun. And you're right. Like they gave Keith a little bit more to do. Um I still haven't been thrilled with his transition from NXT to the main roster. I think like, they they made a lot of stupid mistakes before, you know, he even stepped in the ring. You know, the theme music going back and forth with his ring gear, stuff like that. But, you know, it feels like they're starting to turn a corner with Keith. And and I thought, you know, the little bit of mic time he had tonight, he, he did well. And like you said, like when it came to the actual match, I thought he looked good.
0: Uh, to set up the commercial break, they had uh, Sheamus... Get a sleeper hold applied to Lee and then Braun runs at both as they crash through the barricade. Byron Saxon brings up to AJ that all of your teammates and prospective teammate and Braun, they're killing one another. They're doing all this damage. I know Byron, it was my idea. White Noise is hit to Braun. There's a Tower of Doom spot with Sheamus taking the superplex. And it's just all these guys just hitting all these monster moves on one another. The Brogue Kick gets stopped by Braun, who returns to the ring. Lee kills Braun with his lariat. And then as he's setting up for the spirit bomb, Sheamus takes him out with the Brogue Kick. And Braun hits Sheamus with the power slam. 14 minutes, 40 seconds. So Braun qualifies to join the team and... I thought this match was a lot of fun as we, we hit on. Like, just, you know, 14 minutes of, you know, the three I
1: thought worked very hard. It was a really fun match. Like, there was no suspense because we knew, like, you're not going to bring Braun out if you're not going to put him on the team. But that being said, yeah, it, it was a fun match. Just just uh, some hosses clubbering, as Dusty would say, John Pollock. So, yeah, this this was a fun, uh, fun segment. And I think with AJ... Uh, I still think like he should have been off T V much longer than he was after that WrestleMania match, but you know, hindsight being twenty twenty. I feel like hey, I love this AJ Styles character. The only thing is maybe he needs an update with his wardrobe. And I might be stepping on WH Park's toes right now, so I'm I'm gonna try to tread lightly. Uh but I think like if instead of the current AJ Styles look, we dressed him up like like Boss Hog or or Colonel Tom Parker. Just like the Southern gentleman, because he is playing this character so well. And I feel like the look is the only thing holding him back. So if we had like a little short AJ Styles boss hog with Big Jordan behind him, that's that's a that's a winning combination, John.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we will see a week from now. We'll see if, um, you know, as AJ went from blue to red, where is Georgia going to go? Yeah. <laughs> AJ Mm. wants all of them to shake hands. Braun says we got to put aside our differences. He shakes hands with Keith Lee, and then he's arguing with Sheamus. AJ's playing Peacemaker, and then Sheamus won't shake hands with Braun. Instead, he gives him a big hug. And, Nate, I seriously thought, okay, they're going to go with my idea and then (laughs) blast the guy with a brogue kick. I thought, like, okay, here's, like, these four, and they're going to begrudgingly get along with each other, and they're actually going to have – some unity among them, but no, we we have to have the partners that hate one another. Lee then nails Sheamus to the floor, and A.J. drop kicks Keith Lee out, and he just is lamenting. Wah!
1: Wah! <laughs> yeah, they, they, they ruined a good thing, because yeah, it, w- it would have been so interesting to see this tenuous friendship, but guys that, you know, like, like a football team, like you're not going to like every guy on the offensive line, but you're playing beside them for, you know, a common goal. And so, yeah, but they, they couldn't do it, John. Like, they, this is a company that doesn't know how to build stable units. You know, every tag team they have breaks up. Uh, every, you know, Survivor Series group they have can't stop fighting with each other. So that's that's the theme of the year in the WWE. It's is, is strife gotten right, conflict. Like, like the Hurt Business. Like, I
0: don't yes. think you can, like, can't really poke holes in, like, their development and handling of the Hurt
1: Business that has been... Pre- pretty impeccable this year. Yeah, the Hurt Business is a, is a solidified unit. The New Day is a solidified unit. Uh, let's see. The Street Profits are a solidified unit. Heavy Machinery. Uh, oh, wait a heavy... minute. Heavy <laughs> uh, Yeah, Heavy it's Machinery. Gotta bring it back uh, to life here. I guess Retribution is on the same page.
0: Yeah, it's just no one's picking up the book to read it. So... <laughs> Angel Garza had a special message for someone uh, that he makes no hints who this is, but they share the intimate feelings, and he has a rose for this person. This was never addressed later, but whatever. Angel Garza's got. I didn't even know Angel Garza was still on Raw. It seemed like he was talking to the people in the Thunderdome on the screens, that we can't be together in person, but I can see you. So... Maybe this is, like, a relationship with, like, AI technology. Uh, The Undertaker was on Jimmy Fallon uh, tombstoning a scarecrow. Drew then says he's Orton's guardian angel, and he knows that Orton won't give him a rematch, so he's going to continue to ruin his life, and The Fiend will have to back off. And he had totally forgotten about the handicap match, as had many by this point in the show. Firefly Funhouse. First, they make fun of the RKO, and Abby... Tells Randy Orton he can go fuck himself. Alexa is taken aback and brings out the swear jar. So Alexa gets told to F off herself. Bray then tells the tale of 2017 and Orton burning down the Bray Wyatt compound. (laughs) And how Bray created a new world afterwards as we get highlights of this. And Bray looks serious into the camera. He never forgets. Many of us have tried to forget that entire Mm. feud, but it's coming back. And then Alexa's put in a trance, and then this red shit comes out of her mouth, and it ends with Bray saying, oh, shit. (laughs) They discovered the sensor sound effect this week for the Firefly Funhouse. That was the large uh, takeaway
1: here, and doing magic tricks with Alexa. (laughs) And like I think the biggest trick for me, John, was the fact that they actually used their own continuity here, going back to Orton burning down the compound, which is something I thought they would never touch again. This is rare that they go back years to uh, heighten a current story.
0: So they are doing that. Unfortunately, it was universally panned as maybe the worst storyline of 2017. <laughs> but, hey, we'll start somewhere. Um Nia Jax comes out with Shayna, and then we get an inset promo with Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce, who this week look like they're back together as a pairing, and they just made fun of Lana, and that was about it, and that that was all. They're not on the Survivor Series team, but I guess they're, they are <laughs> representing the backup, if necessary.
1: How many nondescript blonde teams do we have on this show, John?
0: Well my question would be why we went to such lengths to break up Peyton Royce from a partner so that we can yes. pair her up with a new partner um, mm. to just like toil away. I guess we need some women's tag teams and Evans and Peyton Royce will be on deck after Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. Um, <sighs> it just, it just seems like they're kind of throwing things against the wall with these two.
1: Dick, say what you want to say about the iconics, but that would be a much more fun match than Peyton and, uh lacy who like feels like they just pulled names out of a hat and made teams it
0: was a short match with nia jackson lana where nia just beat her like a drum kept pin- picking her up on the two count calling her pathetic headbutt samoan drop she wins in three minutes and eight seconds they go to leave but of course they come back and lana's <laughs> put through the desk for a seventh time and mm. Like it almost, you almost get the sense like this was supposed to be like whether they're gonna uh, eliminate Lana from the team or she's just gonna persevere and get some comeuppance at the Survivor Series. Uh, but anyway, um, two teammates not getting along, Nia Jackson, Lana.
1: No, and like this match was so brutal, John, and one sided. Like I kept looking to the corner to see if uh, the Duke was gonna tell somebody to throw in the damn towel. <laughs>
0: Yeah, someone was just staring at it too long, and it was a uh, it was gut check time. <laughs> MVP checked in on our truth. They made fun about his signed water bottle, and come back from break. VIP lounge with the hurt business. They've got to inject best of the best into all of these promos. Lashley then responds to Sami Zayn's logic that the Intercontinental title represents more people than his United States title, that only symbolizes one country. He says that's fitting because you always have so many things to say, I guess, meaning the guy can speak multiple languages. (laughs) Um, So his counter is that he's going to put his ass to sleep. Succinct. That's that's the American way, John. Well, uh, MVP (laughs) then says they took care of the, quote, retribution problem on Raw, and it's now time (laughs) to collect our payment. And what they're going to collect is the Raw tag titles. Which was confusing because what they had coming up next was a non-title match, but they were owed this this payment. So in theory, shouldn't they have cashed in now and made this a title match?
1: You would think, like yes, and I guess and they,
0: they are owed a tag title shot, and even more so after they win this non-title match. But besides, and and, win, and
1: also we didn't take care of the retribution problem. Spoiler alert.
0: Well, it's more of a nuisance now for Rick, and that's <laughs> Ricochet's problem. Like that's kind of like you. That's what your subordinates are going to take care of. You don't bring that up to the executive level of the company. Like, th- this so like is not... when, you, when you take your
1: <laughs> when you take your car and the mechanic because your your alternator's acting up, and yeah, and then they're like, like, okay, we know. fixed the alternator, but uh, your tires out of alignment. Aren't you going to fix that? It's nope, like, I fixed the alternator. Yeah,
0: Rusty, the intern, has got this. Okay, you the <laughs> the, the, the real the the grown ups are taking care of the real problems here. <laughs> Kofi and Xavier Woods come out and Xavier Woods makes fun of Bobby Lashley's age, saying how he used to stay up so late to watch him as a kid. Kingston then puts over all three of them. Well, three of the four for their attributes and then comes up to Cedric Alexander and doesn't have much to say towards <laughs> him. Uh, while also making some LL Cool J references because he wants to outdo our truth when it comes to the, uh, the Wayback Machine. Kofi notes he has won more titles than all of them combined. Where's the lie? He then goes over all of the championships, plural, and winning the WWE championship that none of them have been able to do. So MVP comes back and says, yes, that was a historic win. I was proud of you. But then you lost the title to Brock Lesnar in eight seconds. And Lashley could do it in even less. Kofi For the first time in over a year, addresses the loss to Brock Lesnar. And after a year plus, his response is, it's funny you bring up that length of eight seconds because according to Lana, that's how long Bobby Lashley can last for. We got a sex joke as the, the, the response from Kofi Kingston here. They continue to go back and forth. MVP says, we dress like businessmen. You dress like clowns. When you talk footwork, it's to dance. When we talk footwork, it's to stomp teeth out for combat. And you don't want to dance with us. Shelton and Alexander are going to two-step over your faces. Woods and Kingston, they can't even remember how many times they've won the tag titles. They are a global conglomerate. The Hurt Business are another failed 2020 startup. Uh, say what you will, I thought they had a really fun like exchange back and forth, and they just mm-hmm. felt like they were out there just riffing on one another, and it felt like a very like natural back and forth. That this did not feel like the like WWE scripted back and forth. It's like they all had like some lines in their arsenal, and I thought I like you really gave them some latitude to go out and
1: have a longer. Talking segment than normal. Outside of the the sex, you know, joke. Kobe's, yeah, Kobe's response to MVP bringing up the title, like everything else was was great in this segment. Uh, and again, like I, you know, we'll talk about it later when we get to the election. Never say never, but I'm saying it here in regards to Kobe. Like anybody that was holding out hope that we might see Kobe do something again and rise to those levels of Kobe mania, it's never happening again. Uh, but that being said, John, I thought this was a fun segment. I liked, uh, you know, Xavier's line about you know they might be a, a startup business, but the New Day is a global <laughs> conglomerate because you know in the world of WWE and the merchandise they sell, that's kind of true. Uh, so yeah, I thought it was a good back and forth between uh, both groups, and uh, it actually had me looking forward to this match, even though I wasn't quite sure whether the titles were on the line or not.
0: That would have been awesome if Xavier Woods like reference like the quarterly report you look at that consumer
1: consumer products
0: we're not even running live events new days carrying this sector of the business (laughs) so we had our tag match um non-title match we had mvp on commentary uh and mvp brings up that kofi's first loss in wwe was to shelton benjamin which led to tom phillips dropping an ecw circa 2008 reference (laughs) the forgotten period Yes. Um, So they're, they're going along, they're having this match, and there was like a really weird part in the middle of this where I don't know if Shelton temporarily hurt himself or something. I went back to look at it because He takes this insiguri from Xavier Woods, and he tags out, and he's kind of laying on the apron and then rolls to the floor. And when we come back from commercial, Alexander's in the ring. He tags Benjamin, who kind of stumbles as he climbs through the rope, and he just seems like he's having some issue getting around. And Tom Phillips even kind of... Uh, made reference to it that you know he seems a bit out of it they later said he was favoring his knee and seemed to recover but there was like a good 60 seconds or so where Shelton seemed like he was just trying to get his bearings about him or was dealing with something Um, and it was very awkward Cedric went for the neuralizer and the spot got messed up and Cedric just got sent to the floor so they seemed to be kind of working around whatever was going on uh it culminates though where they have they send kofi to the floor and the hurt business double team xavier with the Neuralizer into the pay dirt and they pin woods in 12 minutes 48 seconds and they win the non-title match and in theory (laughs) sets up the tag title match that i think has way more interest than the street profits uh cold match at survivor series
1: Yes. And, you know, this is uh, outside of, you know, kind of the bit of wonkiness going on with Shelton. I thought this was a solid TV match. And, yeah, they had really good chemistry. Uh, I feel like, unfortunately, this is going to be a program that pr- we, we're either going to rush through it, John, or we're going to do like the Ricochet program and just beat it into the ground. Like there's no heavy medium with these stories, uh, it seems. Uh, so, yeah, either this will be done in a month or we'll still be talking about this uh, next next summer.
0: So many of these Survivor Series champion versus champion matches, it's heel versus heel, babyface versus babyface. Yep. Can you see a potential title change uh, with Benjamin and Alexander just to change up the dynamic? I know it's real quick to take it off New Day, but I mean, that that's sort of been kind of like the New Day. It's like these tag titles are going to be
1: yo-yos for them. I could see it, but I also then. That- Yes, it's a babyface, babyface matchup. But I do think when you're talking particularly about Street Profits and the New Day, there is some interest in kind of that pairing. So I think that one can work as a one-off. And then maybe you take the titles off of them. Nikki Cross walks up
0: to Alexa Bliss, whose back is towards the camera. And Bliss has ghosted her, literally and figuratively. She's not returning her texts or emails. The Fiend, she knows, is forcing her to be shut out. And she tells Nikki, "You're str-, or she tells Alexa, you're stronger than this. Look at me. And she turns around and she gasps because Alexa Bliss has contact lenses. <laughs> I think they really uh, needed to do up Alexa a lot more frightening than these eyes. I think, like, you could have had some fun with this at least.
1: Yes. And, and also what we gathered from this segment is that Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt is kind of like uh, uh, your man from The Vow. Is that Keith Rainier? Well, he's running this cult, apparently. <laughs> I like the visual of Bray Riot
0: and a member of the Riot Squad. Oh. Uh, comes together. See, that
1: would have been an alternate 2020. That would have been a much happier world, John.
0: <laughs> yes. Okay, then we go to one of the most perplexing segments, uh, but not surprising either. So we come back from break, no entrance, just plopped in the middle of this ring is Tucker. Sand's <laughs> shirt. Here's this guy with, honest to God, the most generic look, and he's wearing these pants that I don't know how he was even able to come out for this segment wearing these pants. He's referred to as Tucker, but he's got, like, these old pants with night written on the ass of them. He looks like a guy that is just out of, like, uh, a 1994 episode of Superstars. It just looks so generic. You the the saving grace of this segment would be it was so quick that enough people might have not realized who this was.
1: Well, I I am one of those people, John, because I had flipped back and forth during the commercials. And I was, you know, watching a little Rachel Maddow. I was checking out the Monday Night Football game. I checked out what was going on with the uh, SNL election special. And then I hop back to Raw and the match had already started. And if the announcers hadn't said Tucker. During the match, I wouldn't have known who that guy was.
0: So, the match starts. Mustafa Ali walks out to stand on the desk. And Ricochet hits the recoil and wins in 38 seconds. Now, let's talk about the Tucker aspect of this segment. This was as flat a follow-up as I can recall for someone that is fresh (laughs) off a split like d o a you could have written on this guy at the end of this segment
1: yeah, yeah and why would you like now going back and thinking of the uh the heavy machinery of it all like why would you even do that split when you can't really have a pro- proper blow off uh between the two you know it was not, not
0: like it was he was the tool to get yes. to the finish of that match, and with absolutely zero plans that this is going to do anything like not even we're not even going to try. It's just he is the key to finishing this match and we've and we'll split them.
1: Yeah, and like not that Otis versus Tucker would have been, you know, a hot feud. It's not the mega powers exploding here, John, but it would have at least been something and and something much better than Tucker just showing up looking like a nobody on this show and then losing in 30 seconds. I was
0: stunned, like no follow up promo, no explanation. Then Retribution storms the ring and T bar takes Ricochet and dumps him out of the ring. They surround Tucker, and that's this is where I'm thinking. Okay, maybe they're going to take Tucker under their wing. <laughs> nope, <laughs> dude. I was crying for any explanation for this Tucker booking. They, How could you be so naive, dude, John? They Pollock. Just beat the the shit out of Tucker. Then they grab Ricochet. They beat the shit out of him. Double choke slam by T bar and Mace, like. Tucker's done. Tucker is done here. <laughs> Ricochet is holding on by a thread. He's at least yes. going to have a program with retribution coming out of this. But I think Tucker has nothing.
1: And you said it right, John. Like I don't know if you'd phrase it as as uh, re- re- retribution. I almost said a revolution. Uh, this is not a revolution at all. Uh, retribution is like they're relegated, like they got sent down a division, or, or they went from varsity to JV because. They're still a group. They're still ostensibly a threat. Question mark. But we're not gonna mix them up with any of the good people. You know, we're not gonna mix them up with anybody at the top of the card or even you know the upper mid part of the card. They're gonna be down here with uh, Ricochet. And unfortunately, you know what Ricochet is about because this is what we've this is what we've given Ricochet for the last year. So yeah, like I think. Uh, the beatdown was effective. I I like Ali. Like I still like Ali as the leader of this group, but I don't know what the what the runway is for retribution.
0: It's tough. This segment just felt like this was the Island of Misfit Toys segment. Like it's just <laughs> all these people that are directionless or like feel that they've got nothing going and they're they've all been slotted together. So I mean we will see if they can find a, a pathway out. I mean there was there was a time that I think we looked at Dark Order in a similar way. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm really trying with any kind of glimmer of hope, but it was this was really something. I, I would say Tucker though, um yeah, I, I have no explanation for this one. So Drew runs into his old pal Sheamus in the back, and Seamus wants to recruit drew to be the fifth man on the survivor series team, the Celtic connection. Drew says he can't commit right now. His mind is on Orton. Sheamus says, that's fine. Call me. If you change your mind. And he just watches drew walking off. And you know that this man is preparing to run him over with a car.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Main event, drew McIntyre, Ms. and Morrison, uh, it was a match that we, I feel we, we're gonna see quite a lot of, uh, in different forms and fashions over the next while. Drew is handling both. He hits an inverted Alabama slam to Morrison on top of Miz on the floor. We go through the break. Drew does his tree of woe, sit up into the suplex onto Morrison. Miz comes in, eats a bunch of belly to bellies, and there's a jackknife cover by Drew broken up with a Morrison standing shooting star. Morrison is shoved to the floor, allowing Miz to hit the skull crushing finale. Drew kicks out of his finisher. Shoves Miz into Morrison. Future shock DDT. And then as he's setting up for the Claymore. Morrison pulls Miz to the floor. Allowing Drew to hit a Topicon Hero onto both men. Claymore to Miz. 1-2-3. And he wins the match in 15 minutes. 33 seconds. After the match. Orton shows up to hit Drew with the RKO. And the show ends with the fiend sound effects as Randy Orton has to play petrified top heel (laughs) to end tonight's
1: episode. So maybe that's the other team that works together. Bray and Drew, like they're the only cohesive unit other than the new day and the hurt business on the show. There you go. The enemy of my enemy is my frenemy. (laughs) Uh, I thought it was a, uh, look, I almost said it. I thought it was a good match. I, I can't lie to the American people or the Canadian people, John, or the the people in the UK, wherever you are. I can't lie to you. Uh, this this wasn't a good match. It was it was a match, you know, and it did what it needed to do. I think Drew still looks strong, uh, even after losing the title. Uh, but again, like I'm not, I'm not really interested in this combination of Drew, Miz, and Morrison right now.
0: I think what Raw is is lacking significantly is that that story that you're following that you believe has like a long-term direction. You tune in each week. You get like what we're getting on SmackDown that I think, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to say about the, the, the Rey Mysterio angle, like you're getting a progression and you feel, okay, I'm invested in this. Cause it's going somewhere. Like there are twists and turns and it's got like, there's a path on this show. It's like, we've got, okay, Drew is seeking to get his title back. And, Everything's just kind of moving in place. It's like, that's like the overarching story. We've got the survivor series coming up, but I can't say tonight. Like we got the finality to Jeff Hardy and Elias. Cool. Um, Maybe <laughs> Retribution. like I'm not engaged in where any of that's going. No, like it's just, I don't think you had that real compelling story on raw that can carry the, the show. And I think what we're seeing on SmackDown, like one or two hot stories, That'll carry a two-hour show, and here Mm -hmm. on the three-hour show, I can't say you've got that that character that people are living and dying with, and with a story that's really compelling. Um, and that's kind of where I see Raw at.
1: You've got some interesting pieces, you know. You got New Day, Hurt Business, Drew, Randy. You know, you you got Bray and Alexa. You know, even you know uh, something like Nia and Shayna. Like you've got. You've done components. Yeah. Yes, but you haven't put the puzzle together. Whereas on SmackDown, yeah, like there's got they've got a lot of interesting things going. And there's even stuff that they've got, you know, kinda of in the back pocket, like a like Big E solo, solo run. Like I think they've got some interesting stories that they've yet to tell on SmackDown. And the two hour time limit does make the show feel a bit more. And a bit more forward moving as opposed to Raw. Like when you get a bad segment on Raw, you really feel it because instead of like a 10 minute bad segment on SmackDown, it's, you know, a 20 minute bad segment on Raw with a break in between.
0: That was uh, tonight's episode of Raw. Now, uh, as we mentioned tonight, uh, we're not doing feedback tonight just because I thought this was going to be a bit of a lengthy show to begin with. Uh, so for the audience that just wanted to hear us, Chat about Raw and Wrestling News. Uh, That is where the show ends. Because now, it is the start of Preview America. With our special guest, Nate Milton. Nate, welcome to the show.
1: Yes, yes. So anybody that doesn't want to hear about this, be like uh, Tucker and have a good night, folks.
0: (laughs) That's it. Uh, I think we'll need longer than 38 (laughs) seconds, uh, but we still might be scratching our heads by the end of it. So Nate, I kind of just wanted to pick your brain a lot just about this is an election that, and again, uh, you know, I'm speaking from like a Canadian perspective, so I'm kind of on the outside looking in here, but one that I I think is going to be as emotionally a ach- as emotionally charged as any recent election in our lifetime. I think is going to have like I am, I am somewhat dreading what the next week is going to look like in the fallout of this and how ugly it's going to get as well, like what the tone is going to be online after this election regardless of who wins or if there is a dispute coming out of this like what are you expecting in terms of like the the backlash that will come to whatever tuesday's outcome is
1: oh it's not going to be pretty you know there's a reason why you see you know businesses there's a reason why you see businesses and you know uh establishments kind of boarding up right now because they're preparing for the worst. Like and what is the worst? You know, we don't know, John, but you could have a situation where if Trump wins, you have a lot of angry people on the left and you get a lot of protests. And sometimes protests can lead to rioting and sometimes rioting can lead to looting. Uh, and then on the right, if Biden wins, you're going to have a lot of angry people who are heavily armed. As well, John. And so, either way, it's going to be a very tense situation because you got to think like this is, you know, this has been a much better built rivalry than anything on Raw that we talked about tonight. You know, this has been four years of the right taking a victory lap on the left. The right, as the Hurt Business said, you know, doing a two step all over the faces of the liberals. And so now, if the shoe is on the other foot come Tuesday night or come Wednesday or come Thursday or whenever the final election tally is revealed, if Biden wins, like I would like to think, John, that there would be some decorum and some grace and, you know, some some humility. But it's not going to be that John. It's going to be a lot of memes, going to be a lot of dancing, it's going to be a lot of in your faces to folks on the right. And that is just going to continue to, you know, gin up emotions.
0: If we're to dial back and we go to January 1st, okay, where where is kind of your prognosis going into a, the election year of the the party that is best equipped as of January 1st to w- win this election? Granted, this is at a time where we don't know on January 1st who is going to be the Democratic nominee. But in terms of just how the Democrats had prepared over the years for, you know, a – a president that I mean, it's it just seemed like this was that 2016 loss was mm. laying the groundwork for a massive restructuring of the Democratic Party. How do you feel they succeeded in that in those ensuing years uh, as the calendar turned pre-COVID in the United States?
1: Yeah, well, I think you know 2018 gave us a little bit of a heads up of how the Democrats were going to come back. From their loss and you know unlike kofi kingston they didn't just laugh it off john they didn't make sex jokes they've been thinking about that loss every single day for the last four years and in 2018 we saw the results of that we saw a lot of seats being flipped uh and so when we get to 2020 if you ask me what was going to be the outcome on january 1st i think i was leaning towards biden being the uh, democratic nominee if not biden then uh Warren or Harris probably would have been my pick, maybe Bernie uh, with an outside shot, uh but I think random Democrat versus Trump, I still would have given the edge to Donald Trump because the economy was in a decent place for a lot of people, not everybody uh but for a lot of people and particularly people that matter, you know, to politics, that key demo of uh old, rich, and white, like they were doing really well with the Trump economy um you know, we were peaceful we weren't really you know yes we're overseas and, and engaged in, in different uh entanglements uh if you will but we're not you know like we're not at, we don't feel like we're at the brink of war with north korea or anything like that uh even though we probably are closer than we think but i would have given trump the edge i would have given you know I, if i were taking eyes i'd say it was a 70 percent chance maybe 75 percent chance that trump would get a second term when we get to the day though the big difference for me, it's two things, John. It's COVID and it's the economy. Yep. And I think that COVID has done a lot of uh, things in this country to kind of shed light on things that we don't often talk about. You know, we talked about it back when uh, you and Way had me and Andrew on after George Floyd was murdered. And we talked about how if we were not in this quarantine society, maybe that event doesn't take hold like it does. Um, so I think that like people have been exposed to America's fraught relationship with race, and that's a big thing that has been revealed through COVID. I think people have been kind of tipped into how important healthcare is because of COVID. And so when you've got Trump out here who has been saying since day one his mission is to dismantle Obamacare, to repeal and replace, even though he doesn't have anything to replace it with, that's not going to sit well with a lot of people. And the other thing is the economy has tanked. Because of COVID. And you got a lot of people, particularly a lot of people that voted for Trump last time that are out of work or on unemployment. And when they see Trump and the Republican side of Congress more interested in fast tracking a Supreme Court nominee than getting another round of COVID relief going, that's going to stick with them. And then that's not going to sit well with them. So I feel like it's almost a flip from where I would have told you back on January 1st, John, like now I think even though, you know, again, never say never, nothing is promised. I feel like if I were a betting man, I'd say Joe Biden has a 70 to 75% chance of winning this thing, whether it's tomorrow or, you know, the end of the week or the end of next week, I feel, you know, a lot more optimistic today than I did on January 1st and certainly more optimistic on Biden's chances than I was with Hillary.
0: I, I kind of feel a similar way that where I was January first was I, I've never felt comfortable with you know the candidate that it's like the the main selling feature is I'm not that the opposition I'm not mm-hmm. Donald Trump I never thought that just not being Donald Trump was going to be enough and I d- felt like January first like to me the the presumptive leader of the Democratic ticket was had not been this transformative politician that I felt was going to be needed at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, you fast forward to COVID, and on the surface, Nate, like you can look at the history of when there are national emergencies and something like this catastrophic, that should push people towards the incumbent. Like that yep. is a a unifying event where a country is seeking – Leadership, and I really believe that you could be the most. You know, there there will always be the the people that would absolutely never uh, come around on Donald Trump. But if you're, we're talking about that that middle ground that keeps uh, a perspective open on Donald Trump. I think like there was an enormous opening for Donald Trump to capture a lot
1: of people that are in between both parties. Yeah. And that's the thing about Trump, man. Like, I feel like he he's too clever in his own mind for his own good, because Trump could have easily had this in the bag. You know, you, he could still be as racist and sexist and misogynistic and bullheaded and stubborn as he always is. But he just could to hit it a little bit more, John, you know. And and I feel like every president, every president that we remember goes through a period of crisis and it's a test and trump failed his test in 2020 you know and and like i haven't liked or loved every president but they've all went through a test you know uh you know obama you know went through the test of bringing back the economy at the uh the uh great recession Mm -hmm. uh george w bush you know i don't like george w bush's policies at all but you can't say that he wasn't an effective leader after 9-11 you know, and, uh, you know, you keep going back and forth. Like, I think Bill Clinton didn't really have a big crisis besides the one he created. Uh, but every other president uh, had a big moment, a big test. And. If they passed it, they were rewarded with the second term. Trump has failed this test. And so the thing is, like, you're always going to have 40 percent of the country, regardless that loves Donald Trump. The man the man told you like four or five years ago, John, he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue when they would still rock with him and they will. But the difference is now, you know, Trump beat Hillary by small margins. You know, he picked off some electoral votes here and there and the difference was like less than 100,000 people. And so when you, you've got folks that might be on the fence or folks that were Obama voters and then voted for Trump and then, you know, come this time around, they're less enamored with Trump. So they go back and vote for Biden. I feel like those margins are going to be in Biden's favor. And just the math, like I was talking with uh, Chris, uh, Chris from L.A., Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, surprisingly, he wasn't talking about the Slam Jam album, because that's all the brother wants to talk about these days. John Pollock, Listen, uh, but we, he was <laughs>
0: we, we'll, we'll take our high points of 2020 where we can get them. And Slam Jam volume one is one of the hallmark moments of this year.
1: Yeah, every time I call Chris, he wants to talk about Simply Ravishing. I'm like, I get it. I get it. It's a great song. Uh, but he's basically you know, said that uh, Trump can't beat biden but he can cheat biden and the way that you can do that is through you know voter suppression the way that you can do that is through not counting votes the way you can do that is through like we're seeing john this week like uh states that are republican-led are trying to go to court to keep votes from being counted and fortunately a lot of those cases have been thrown out or overturned uh but yeah like you can see like trump's path to victory is is narrow you know like we I think it's going to be a long night, but we could have an early night. Carville was on uh, MSNBC. James Carville was on MSNBC earlier today, and he was like, if if Biden can find a way to squeak out Florida, like, and we might know that by ten eleven o'clock at night. That, that'll it's be over. an early returning state. Yeah. It's right. Florida, if Trump can get – I mean, if Biden can get Florida, North Carolina, or Georgia – it's 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 pretty much over. Like if like those are the key states. And then the three, you know, the three up in the Midwest, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, those are states Trump can't afford to lose because Biden has three or four different ways where he can get to 270, whereas Trump really has one path. And if he doesn't get that path, then he's not going to win. The question then, John, is will Trump, you know, acquiesce to a peaceful transition of power? And nobody knows the answer to that.
0: No. And I mean, you have to see how things go, but you're right. Like it's, you know, when you look at these uh different scenarios, like they are outnumbered by Biden's different paths. Whereas, you know, Trump, it's a much more narrow one. uh F- Florida is a very key state. But j- just going back to the, like, this is an astounding stat is that when you look at the last four years that the highest job approval rating for Donald Trump occurred this past may when it hit 49% we're deep into the pandemic at that mm-hmm. time and you know and there's lots of criticism that would be levied towards Donald Trump by that point remember this was someone stating that you know this thing would be gone by easter uh, yep. so we're we're talking just after that period of time but like when it comes to how he handled this that i think will ultimately be a uh, the massive factor that sways people uh, about the covid crisis is this an idea that had he softened his stance and relied more on those around him that he feared that that would chip away at his base or would that base be untouchable that in a in an election year that bridging that gap would have put him into a position where you had – and I hate to politicize COVID, but unfortunately, that is a byproduct of a national emergency that this guy could have put himself in eight months of being the stable leader that is mm-hmm. out on TV every n- night uh, doing these press conferences, deferring to medical officials. And I think it would have clouded a lot of people that were right in the middle seeing this guy in that leadership position all year handling this like an adult.
1: Yeah, I think he threw away a real opportunity, both, you know, pro- politically and in terms of just being a decent human being in, in his handling of COVID. I feel like, you know, there's still a 30% chance by my estimation, John, that Trump could win this thing and maybe a 50% chance that he could steal this thing <laughs> in the course. Uh, but I feel like had Trump listen to Fauci, had Trump been more sympathetic and empathetic to all of these people, over a hundred thousand that have lost lot their lives and, or, and lost family members in this thing. Had he been more strident in that, you know, we're going to get people on unemployment. that you know, we're going to get them relief. We're going to get these essential workers, some relief during this time. We're going to invest in small businesses that are hurting right now, instead of trying to force this Supreme court justice through if, You know, if, if, if Trump had showed that he cared about these folks instead of, you know, Hey, I got COVID it's no big deal. I'm going to, you know, dance around with my mask off, you know, and, you know, have these big rallies where nobody's wearing masks. And I'm going to make fun of Laura Ingraham because she's got a mask on and nothing's going to happen to me. Uh, it doesn't even matter that my friend quote unquote Herman Cain died three days after my rally the other time. You know, I feel like if Trump were smart, which maybe we're lucky that he isn't as smart as I, I wish he were in in a sense, because like this guy was smart, he might actually be incredibly dangerous, but he's not smart enough to lie to the people. You know, if, you know, if this this were a Superman movie, John Pollard, like Lex Luthor and Donald Trump might have the same ambitions, but Lex Luthor would be smart enough to lie to the citizens of Metropolis and the world.
0: Let's switch over and talk a little bit about Joe Biden. Was was Joe Biden the best option uh, for, for for this race in that there, I, I think, with any candidate, you as a voter, you're going to make concessions for who is mm-hmm. who is our best person uh, to put out there. And certainly looking at the polls, uh, was there a better candidate than
1: Joe Biden in your estimation? Joe Biden was the best option for this race. Does that mean Joe Biden is the best candidate out of all of the field or the best politician or the one with the best ideology or the best plans? No, but it means for this race, Joe was certainly the best choice, in my opinion, John. Uh, you know, it's like the movie New Jack City, right, where you got Wesley Snipes as this up-and-coming drug kingpin, and the only way you can take down a New Jack criminal is with a New Jack cop, and the only way you could take down somebody like Donald Trump is with somebody like Joe Biden, somebody that can talk to those disaffected, you know, white working class men uh, and, and white working class women that Trump has a, a large number of supporting. Like Biden can speak to those people in a way that Bernie Sanders can't, in a way that Kamala Harris certainly can't, uh, in a way that Elizabeth Warren or Amy Klobuchar, or Pete Buttigieg, like they couldn't speak to that crowd in a way that Joe could, and I feel like. Joe is like he probably should have been the candidate last time, you know, if we're being if we're being real. And I think he probably would have beat Trump last time. Uh, But I feel like the combination between Joe at the top of the ticket, which, yes, he's a step back. Yes, he's an older uh, candidate. Yes, he doesn't share the same ideology as a lot of the more progressive people in the Democratic Party. But he's seen as somebody that can stabilize things. He can steady the ship and when you team him up with Kamala who has a lot of enthusiasm amongst young voters and women voters and particularly african american voters i think that's a winning ticket whereas when you look at the other side you've got trump who's this super charismatic figure you may not like him but he's charismatic but then you've got pence who is just devoid of any <laughs> any energy whatsoever so yes like i know a lot of people really wanted bernie but i think like i think trump would have destroyed bernie
0: Honestly, John, you know, what's interesting is that when you look at the playbook uh, from Trump throughout a lot of this, it's been throwing like the the radical left. And it's almost like they had the game Mm -hmm. plan for Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, and they're just trying to attach Joe Biden. And I think that. You know, it doesn't quite fit with, with Joe Biden. Like this is an established this is an establishment politician that yep. the American public is very familiar with. This is not like we're we're taking a gamble on someone that I, I think you're right. I think with Bernie Sanders, like there is a core level of voters that are de- are looking for stability. And mm. you know, listen, Joe Biden is hardly flawless, but I think he at least represents stability for people that are are clamoring for it.
1: Yeah, like I like a lot of the progressive candidates. Like Andrew Yang was my guy, John, uh, in in the primaries. But like Trump would have destroyed Yang. I feel like the the downside with Biden is you know all about Joe, you know all of his faults, you know all of his gaffes, you know all of his limitations. But the good thing is you know Joe, so there's no way that they were going to be able to spring some type of trap on Joe. Like even the stuff with his son, you know, like Joe was able to turn that around on him. You know when he's like. You know I love my son like he's got he's had problems like a lot of families out there, you know dealing with drugs and things of that nature and I feel like that like that might not have won over a lot of Trump voters, but it probably won over some who are going through uh dealing with a family member that's addicted to opioids I, I and thought that was a pretty nature.
0: consequential moment in the, in the like the entire first debate I thought was just a torpedo on Trump's side, but that moment, mm-hmm. if you have to break that debate down into one exchange that really just um presented trump as just so mean-spirited like not to say that everyone's going to be rocked by that but like that was a pretty callous moment and i think like that first debate that's the exchange that comes to mind and how biden handled it as well Mm -hmm. i don't know as many people that would have been able to handle their emotions and check like that and i think that that really does speak to someone that that's the person i want leading this that's not going to necessarily fly off the handle that I mean, Joe Biden. You would think there's a reason, reasonable chance that could have happened.
1: Yeah, because if that was me, that that would have been the end of the debate, John. Because <laughs> he would he would have caught them hands that night. But I think that the thing with Joe is like Joe's not perfect. Joe's got a lot of faults, you know. We can we can talk about policy issues, you know. We could talk about the crime bill if you want, you know. We can talk about some of his votes, you know, uh, in Congress. But when it comes to being a decent human being, like there's no comparison and i feel like the difference between joe biden and hillary clinton and maybe it's not fair and i think a lot of it was you know based in kind of old gop myths and a little bit of misogyny on top like sprinkled on for a little razzle dazzle but hillary just didn't have that likability factor with joe it's like yeah like joe's not perfect joe's got a lot of flaws john But it's hard to find anybody that outright hates Joe Biden in the way that they did Hillary Clinton.
0: How do you? Because you know, especially going into the debates, you know, the crime bill. You knew that was going to be one of the bullets in the in the chamber for the Republican side. How do you feel uh, Joe Biden was able to navigate that? You know that that wide opening that he has.
1: I think he did a, a decent job. Like. He was never going to come up with an answer that would have satisfied everybody, particularly when you've got, you know, a quote unquote cop as your running mate. Uh, So there was always going to be some segment uh, of folks, particularly in the black community, that were going to, you know, look at Joe with a bit of skepticism uh, based on that. But I feel like, you know, Joe, through this entire campaign, has seemed like somebody you know, outside of the fracking question, because I think they did trip him up on that. Mm -hmm. But everything else, it's if I felt like Joe's been like, I'm somebody who's willing to evolve and willing to talk to people like AOC and Bernie. And like, I might not give you everything you want on that progressive platform, but at least I'm willing to listen and have these conversations. And I'm also willing to talk to, you know, the folks on the other side of the aisle. So I feel like Joe's biggest asset is that he feels relatable and he feels like somebody who even if you don't agree with his final decision will at least have listened to other voices rather than trump who the only voice he listens to is the one that is emanating from his mouth
0: what uh, what coverage are you going to be following on on tuesday night what's kind of your, your your tradition are you just flipping all over the place do you kind of settle on like one network's coverage over the other
1: i mean i, I like to you know to have like a little smorgasbord, John, like a little buffet <laughs> of my election night coverage. You know, I, I dip into CNN a little bit, you know, uh, every now and then I'll see what see what kind of uh, conspiracy theories are being spouted on Fox. Uh, you know, every now and then I'll check like the, the national, like NBC, CBS, ABC, just to, you know, make it feel like it was back in the 90s when we didn't have all these cable news networks. But my go to John is going to be MSNBC because they – you talk about a Survivor Series team when you got Joy Reid and and Steve Kornacki and Rachel Maddow and Brian Williams and Lawrence O'Donnell. That's a dream team, John Pollock.
0: Well, I feel like, man, CNN, I mean – on the best of times, they have like the crazy desk out, and I mean, with social distancing in place, I mean, we could have like a football field of c n n contributors
1: on <laughs> Tuesday night. I don't know what to expect um the The only thing I know for sure is we're going to get like drunk Carville at like ten thirty, eleven o'clock at night. I told you Florida was the key
0: <laughs> where uh tell us a little bit specifically about
1: uh v- Virginia. Virginia is a state, like, I still say it's a purple state. Chris uh, keeps telling me it's, you know, deep purple, damn near blue. Uh, But Virginia is a state that has seen a lot of movement towards the left over the last decade or so. And I feel like Virginia might be a bit of a precursor to North Carolina. Like, I don't know if it's going to happen this year, John. Like, I think Biden might be able to pull out Carolina, but... I feel like within the next four years, Carolina is going to be purple. Uh, And I feel like Virginia, you know, is was the the precursor to that because yes, like we're a Southern state, we got a lot of military, you know, we got a lot of God fearing Americans in our state, very religious in some parts of the area, but it's also, you know, we've got a lot of young people. And if you go up towards, you know, DC, we got a lot of, you know, uh, tech folks. And, and so we've got, you know, a bunch of colleges in the state. And so, I feel like Virginia's like this almost perfect mix, where it's not super left wing liberal and it's not super right wing Republican. It's like a n- nice deep shade of like purple, and then I I think that's honestly not not to uh not to uh you know pat my state on the back, John, but I think like I'd rather America be like this bright shade of purple than red or blue and then so yeah you know you could say that uh we're the we're the best of the best John listen the way the
0: the map has gone like i am an advocate for a system where you run politicians and they have no party affiliation until they're not until they win the election and then they reveal Mm. what party they're with how about (laughs) that you just have to go literally you have to listen to what their policies are what Mm. they say and you got to figure out what party they're with there's not no more Whoa. of this, this team loyalty bullshit. It's kind of like The Voice, but with politics. Exactly. How so about you some, just, Are you going to hit the button and turn around? <laughs> like, oh, damn it. I voted for the wrong way. No, you <laughs> voted your way.
1: Like, Ted Cruz, how did you get here?
0: <laughs> of, of some of these states that, I mean, are relatively, like, they look like toss-up states. And we're talking uh, Georgia, Texas, mm. Arizona uh florida's in there too i mean are you looking at any any surprises do you see any you
1: know especially traditional red states uh flipping here yeah the fact that texas was in play and trump and pence actually had to spend resources and and time in that state uh is just kind of amazing to me like I, i still think trump's gonna win texas uh but the fact that biden put up a fight is amazing. And, and even more importantly, maybe than the presidential election, will be the effect that has down ballot, you know, with some of these congressional races. Uh, I think that Georgia is another one that could go either way. Uh, I think Georgia is <sighs> Georgia and, and Texas. We're talking, we're, just so everyone know,
0: like we're talking like electoral. Um, we have 38 in Texas yeah. and 16 in Georgia. so So we're
1: talking sizable states here. Yeah, Georgia, I feel much like Texas, will uh, lean slightly more red. Uh, but the thing is, John, like these are states that Biden's not even supposed to be competitive in. Mm-hmm. So if he was able to pick off of Georgia, that's a big deal because that's 16 points that Trump should have had in the bank. Um, Arizona, I think, is, is going to go for Biden. Uh, like all the polls, reputable polls seem to be pointing that way. Uh, like Martha McSally looks like she's about to lose her. Uh, senatorial bid. So like that looks blue. Nevada might be blue. So like, I feel like the problem this time around for Trump is Trump was the unknown. Trump was the change agent back in 2016 going up against the establishment figure in Hillary Clinton. Whereas now we know who Donald Trump is. He can't sell us on being an outsider. You know, he can't sell us on being the anti politician. So we know who Trump is, and we know who Biden is, and it's just going to come down to the numbers. And so I feel like the fact that Biden is competitive in Florida and North Carolina and Georgia and Texas and Arizona, you know, the fact that he's pushing Trump in these states is a good sign for Democrats.
0: Regardless of the outcome on Tuesday night, I mean, this is like a really loaded question, but the... (laughs) As you look back at these four years of Donald Trump, I mean, what what have been the accomplishments of this? (laughs) Like and and seriously, though, I mean, you can point to like the the economy that you mentioned. I think honestly, like if you're a Republican and you look at the state of the Supreme Court, like that is something that they have shored up. And that has been a key area that Republicans have outdone the democrats in i don't think there's any disputing that and that's you know that you and chris have talked about this a lot like that is something that you know it's not like it the supreme court comes up in a four-year cycle this is for these are are lifetime terms that the republicans have been on top
1: of yeah that would be trump's crowning achievement like i think the economy uh he could kind of tout but again like he inherited donald trump is like um is like when we had Barry Switzer become the Cowboys coach after Jimmy Johnson had a falling out with Jerry Jones and Barry Switzer won like that one-off championship with the Cowboys, but it was mainly with Jimmy's players. That's how I feel like when I look at Trump and the economy, like, yes, Trump had a pretty solid economy. Uh, It didn't work for everybody, but it worked for a lot of people and a lot of people were happy with the economy. But he inherited a decent economy. Uh, So, you know, he just had to not screw it up. I think when you look at what really mattered, though, and particularly what really mattered to the people that put Trump in office, is securing the court and gaming the system in such a way, particularly at the Supreme Court level, where now you have a definitive majority. And you can start to roll back, you know, if, if that's what you choose to do, you can start to roll back things like Roe v. Wade or marriage equality. Uh, you know, the voting, we've already seen them mess with the Voting Rights Act. So, like, if that's what they want to do, now they have the tools to do that, especially if Trump wins a second term. They, like, I feel if Trump wins a second term, it's going to be like, you thought You thought the last four years were crazy. Like, the last four years were just a prequel. That was just a warm-up. You know, that was the pre-show, John. We had a four-year four pre-show uh, with with Donald Trump, like we're gonna get to the main card in you know the next four years if Donald Trump wins again, having control of possibly Congress as well as the uh, courts
0: if if you're looking four years in the future what, what what is the let let's start with the with the theoretical of a Republican loss on Tuesday night, how the Republican party adjusts itself, and is this Like, I don't think this is a party that I mean, if they I I don't care if it's like they lose the House, the Senate. It's not like the Republican Party wakes up the next morning and they're suddenly just taking a shower and getting the Trumpism out of that party. I think that this is something that that is the DNA of this
1: party moving forward with or without Donald Trump as its leader. Well, that's going to be the question that they have to address. And I feel like they've got a path to choose regardless. if they win, we know they're going to stick with this with this path of Trumpism. If they lose, though, you got you got a choice to make, and it's a hard choice. It's a choice between: do we want to become a party that is a broad tent where we can possibly compete in some of these purple states, or do we want a fervent, you know, constituency of forty percent of the country, knowing that it's going to put us at a disadvantage in a lot of these national elections? Uh, but we still can secure the courts and things of that nature. Uh, so I feel like we've already seen sort of the, the the tug of war for the soul of the Republican Party. And some folks out there might think that that's a joke, the Republican Party having a soul. But I, I'm not that type of person, John. I, I do feel like there are good faith Republicans out there. Uh, and matter of fact, if Joe Biden does win on Tuesday, like I predict, I think you have to give a bit of an assist to a group like the Lincoln Project mm-hmm. where you know you've got these staunch republicans you know these bush republicans these reagan republicans you know these are republicans through and through but they know that trumpism isn't the way and they put a lot of money in a lot of these states and made some really effective ads and they said things that joe biden couldn't say because it would look unpresidential but They were able to say it and attack Trump. And if if Biden wins, I feel like the Lincoln Project and groups like that had a hand in it. And so you do have these groups of Republicans out here who are like, you know, we want to get back to the roots of the party, you know, small government. You know, we want a strong economy, strong military, you know. And so will that override the group over here that that is deep into Trumpism. And what Trumpism seems to be to me, and you know, I might, I, I'm I'm looking from a biased perspective, John, but what Trumpism seems to be to me is this America first, but really only specific Americans, like mainly white, straight, Christian Americans. Like we, we don't care about gay people. We don't care about black people. We don't care about, you know, Latino people. We don't care about poor people. You know, we, we don't care about Folks that might be outside of our bubble, you know, we we are looking at who we classify as "quote unquote" real Americans, and so, like, you can win elections with that, but you can't have a a, a party that sustains itself because well, and, sooner or later it, it's it's going to burn out. And what
0: we don't know is with that that mindset, if you know, if we're looking at a, an election where the Democrats just sweep the House, the Senate, and we have a record level of turnout. What is the civic engagement level going to be come the midterms in two years, uh, much mm. less the next federal election? If this is a one off where this is just such an emotionally charged election and we get record numbers and they subside. But if not, uh, like can the Republicans with that with kind of that that doctrine of trumpism, can they succeed where you're talking about? record turnout and growing mm-hmm. amounts of populations like Latinos and more black voters and more people that it forces you that you can't, you can't win a majority on a what becomes a narrower platform.
1: Yeah. Like, well, that's the thing. Like, you know, somebody like Michael Steele, like I don't agree with a lot of Michael Steele's policy uh policy ideas, but I think Michael Steele is the Republican that will have an argument in good faith. And the problem with a lot of Trump folks is that you can't have an argument in good faith with them because there are certain things that, like, there are certain things everybody has to agree on, like science, you know, like math, like, you know, everybody being equal regardless of skin color or sex. Uh, you know, or, or whatever they identify as. And so, like, that's a starting block that a lot of people on the tr- in the Trump camp won't even get to, where a lot of these other Republicans, they're like, yes, we need to have these conversations because we want to get back to being a national party. And so I feel like the best thing for those Republicans is for Joe Biden to win. Because, yeah, there are going to be a lot of angry, hurt feelings on the Republican side if, or excuse me, in the Trump camp more so than the Republican side, if Biden wins, but Biden has a way of calming the temperature in the room. And I feel like he's going to have some olive branches for those folks. And I feel like that's going to be, yes, like, that will be like what he That's something Trump is, can't do.
0: No, like we know what the answer is on one side and that will be, and it's not something that you probably will be able to accomplish in one term is unifying this country. But I mean, this is, This is a political system that, and both parties are guilty of this: of not being able to sit down and listen to the opposing side. And it's almost like you've got to eliminate the voices in the room that are simply there for, as you said, bad faith arguments. And unfortunately, like that has, like I don't know what a year from now uh, looks like, uh, regardless. But I, I think that this is going to be one that the immediate aftermath is going to demand a leader that can speak to the other side uh and hopefully that there is listening involved uh
1: yeah, well cuz there's three crises done well there's three crises like immediately whether it's Trump or Biden that they have to address and that is a you know let's get a handle on covid-19 b let's get the economy running let's get some people some relief Um, uh, and then c like we've got a Fix a lot of these social issues, whether you are talking about the left-right divide, or you know the mistreatment of black people in America, or you know the way that we police people in America. Like, so that it's not going to be a job for for amateurs. You know, it's it's going to be a job for a serious person. And Donald Trump, for the last four years, has shown us he cannot be a serious person. And so, yeah, like Joe Biden's not my my first pick, John. He's not the candidate I am in love with, but he's the guy for the job right now.
0: Well, Nate, uh, this is going to be quite the election to follow. Um, do you and Chris have any plans? I mean, I, I do look forward to the two of you dissecting this at a date to be determined.
1: Yes. I, we're not sure whether it'll be an episode of, uh, the 2020 on the Patreon or if we'll do a big, uh, postmortem on the election on the Kings of sport. But yeah, Marcus and Chris and myself and maybe some others will sit down and, and try to make sense of all of this. Uh, like, I'm, it's going to be interesting. Like, I, I would say, like, I know a lot of people are probably anxious right now, John. Uh, and, and what I would say is, uh, like, what, what Stacey Abrams said tonight on MSNBC. She was like, you know, don't panic. You know, there's a plan. And if, if you've already voted, you've done all you can do. And if you haven't voted, get out there, take all the people that you know and, and, and love and care about and, and, you know, put in the, put in the work. And so, yeah, like I think it's going to be a an interesting night. It's going to be a very tense night. But again, if I were a betting man, I would bet that uh, Joe Biden will win, uh, and that we might pick up some more seats in, in in Congress as well. Like I, I really hope. Like if if nothing else, maybe like I'm not going to say I want this more than I want Biden to win, but maybe equally. Like if Joe Biden can win and Jamie Harrison can beat Lindsey Graham that will make up for the Atlanta Braves not making it to the World Series for me John Pollock
0: and that's really what this is all down to it's really what it's all about let letting letting Nate go out on a high note so Nate I want to thank you so much. This is a lot of fun chatting about all this, all this with you uh, tonight, not just raw, but uh, all of this election coverage uh, as everyone will be glued to their screens throughout Tuesday and maybe for days and weeks to come. We hope that we get a, uh, an outcome on, on Tuesday night. But, uh, one last final plug for all the, the listeners out there, uh, to go follow, uh, the Kings of Sport, all the stuff you have going on. The floor is yours, Mr. Milton.
1: Yes, thank you, brother. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking with you. And and anytime I can give way a much-needed uh, night off, I, I'm happy to to help Brother Ting out. Uh, but you can check me out uh, on Twitter at in the number 8, I, I am one half of the Kings of Sport. We have a Patreon, patreon.com backslash Kings of Sport. Over 100 hours of audio and video content. Uh, $5 gets you in the door. If you want to pay more, I won't stop you. Uh, You can check me out on on, uh, the Black Lightning podcast. You can check me out on the main event podcast. Uh, You can check me out on the Rocky Via picture show, which is here on post wrestling. Uh, The Hercules episode with Jen Chittenden is out now. It was a fantastic conversation with Jen. And then next month, or I guess later this month, later, you know, it's hard to tell in 2020 what time it really is, John. Uh, but later this month, we will be dropping the San Andreas episode, which Ooh. was a, another episode about a disaster that scientists warned people about, but people didn't listen. So that's on the Rocky Maivia. Everything comes back to 2020, John. Uh, that's what's going to be on the Rocky Via picture show. Uh, oh, if anybody needs a uh, voice work, like I've recently started doing uh voice work during, the, the this uh quarantine era, John. So uh nice. anybody out there who needs uh voiceovers for their podcast or their business or their nonprofit, you know, you can you can uh, have this voice uh for your branding uh for a reasonable fee. So uh you can just uh hit me up uh, on Twitter at in the number eight M O Z A I K. Uh I'll grant you permission to slide into the DMs if uh you'd like uh to hire me for some voice work. But uh yeah, it's it's uh it's gonna be an interesting 24 hours john pollock like i would just uh advise everybody to to breathe relax like what's gonna happen is gonna happen uh you know just whatever your stress relief is uh whether it's alcohol or or uh something medicinal just you know enjoy it in moderation and you know we're we're all gonna get through this together john always forward that's it
0: always forward always together that is going to wrap up the show. Thank you to everybody for listening. We're back. I mean, it, until I
1: eventually uh, turn on you, because you know we we can't have teams stick together for too long here. We're talking about raw, brother.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching out for that that uh, incoming bro kick from Virginia. But <laughs> until then, thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll be back Tuesday night with the Rocky Four review and Rewind a Dynamite Wednesday night. Goodbye. Go vote.